welcome to another reignited episode of Fire My Belly, an art podcast. I think I am your host and also someone with a horse named after them, Kat Grafham. Today's episode is a lovely conversation with my friend and extremely talented illustrator, Helvetica Blanc. We met in 2019 at the Small Press Expo, and I have been a huge fan of her work ever since. Her pieces are incredibly rich in texture, truly fascinating in their iconography, and they are expertly well composed. In this conversation, we talk about losing your faith, permacomputing, Icelandic witchcraft, corporate Memphis art style, tons of other stuff. I thought our conversation was a hoot, and uh, I hope you all enjoy it. If you would like to see the video version of this podcast, where you can see both of our lovely faces, as well as all of the things that we talk about shown on screen, you can do so exclusively over on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash cat Grapham. I am posting the video version every single month and patrons get an additional two to four week exclusive access to the episode entirely. Another way you can support the episode is by following it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and giving it a rate and review that really helps in the algorithm and helps people discover the podcast. That is also a really helpful way to let me know what you guys think. All right, let's get into the conversation. So let's start with you introducing yourself. I am Helvetica Blanc, um, and I am a digital artist, uh, mostly making zines and currently working on an Oracle card deck. This wasn't in my list of questions, but I wanted, I realized that I don't actually know how you decided on the name of Helvetica Blanc. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's not like a, my my name that I use. Uh, no, but it would be a really art. good name. Helvetica would be a great person. No, no, I I thought for a long time, and you know, part of it is you know, it's like a, a probably one of my favorite fonts. Uh, being a graphic designer for fucking ages, are we allowed to say fuck? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Just making sure. <laughs> uh, being a graphic designer for ages, uh, obviously in the everyone loves Helvetica so um well i guess there are people that hate it so i'm not Helvetica is a great font yeah it's a fantastic font it's a it's a workhorse so yeah that that kind of has just stuck with me for a long time and then i started using it as kind of like my name for uh like magical uh purposes like for spiritual purposes you know like a like a witch's coven name kind of thing i was just Helvetica uh and then blanc uh was just a fun play on my last name which is black so I thought, you know, something that sounded similar, but meant the opposite. Um, I was about to say, yeah, that's like the the inverse. Yeah, yeah like like a nice little alliteration there. Um, and it was just kind of hit me one day. I was like, I was ready to start a new style to work on. And just kind of woke up one day. I was like, Helvetica Blanc. That's a good name. I should use that. And then Has anyone ever thought that your name was Helvetica? I mean, I, I pretty much use it for, for anything having to do with like, the artistic persona, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm sure there are some folks who know my actual name. I think you're among them. <laughs> but is somebody like 
emailed you and been like, hello, Helvetica. Oh, absolutely. And I respond to everything is like HB. So I love just, that. That's yeah. great. It just, I think it, it just should just really be nice your name way. at this point. <laughs> go change my name again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's You can change your name unlimited amount of times. It's oh, just... believe me. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. So how did you arrive at becoming, you kind of alluded that you kind of started your career in graphic design. How did you arrive at graphic design? So I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist. I think this is like super common, right? Like what Mm -hmm. do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, It's like, I'd like to, you know, do painting or whatever. And I just never got, I always ended up taking like technical courses instead of artistic courses, you know? So like I would learn about uh, working in the, working in a, like a woodworking shop or something like that in high school they were doing electronics and things like that. And part of that was they had Photoshop and Illustrator. Uh, so I had very early access to versions of that back in the mid 90s. Um, oh, okay. Early, early versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then almost immediately out of high school, I started working in short run print shops. Um, like, you know, what would be just a copy shop. Uh, but I was doing like the really, really rudimentary graphic design stuff. then, and this was before, I mean, this was still doing cut and paste at the time. It was not even on the computer for some stuff. It was right at the, the, like the, literal um, cut and paste, like literally cutting out, you know, <laughs> like the article or whatever for, for someone's mm-hmm. like flyer and then pasting it like with, with uh, rubber cement and then putting it on like, you know, a light box so that they can get it and all that fun stuff. And it was like in that strange transitional period where like desktop publishing was becoming a thing. So we had, oh gosh, it was like Microsoft PageMaker or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was Quark Express and stuff, um, which I think is still around, I, but I'm no longer using that. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of Quark Express. So I imagine that Probably not a lot of people are. I using think it's it still used in newspapers. If oh, I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. You want to talk about like you know holding on to like the last vestiges of a program for a dying industry? Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. So I was kind of right there at that transitional point between um, like the really very like lo-fi traditional uh, way of of doing copies and press work and stuff like that to like digital. And I just kind of stuck with it. Like I ended up uh, going to school for other stuff uh, to be a minister. <laughs> and then. Oh, okay. I, now that you say that, I do remember this, that, that you've told me this before. That's so. <laughs> yeah. There's a fun story there. Right. Um, but so, and, and after school, I almost immediately just jumped right back into doing graphic design. Uh, and I ended up doing it for uh, commercially for about 15 years total. What got you out of graphic design? Oh, the pandemic, honestly. Um, It was a a chance for me to reevaluate what was really, what I really wanted to do. Uh, You know, when we're all kind of living in this like apocalyptic feeling time, we're like, well, shit, why am I doing this thing that I am good at, but I don't really enjoy versus something that I really wish I could do. Um, And I got very lucky. I have a supportive partner who, helps uh helps uh buoy for the bills and all that stuff um i think a lot yeah. of artists uh yeah, well like we all have supportive <laughs> partners it's fantastic you know they're all like yeah we'll fund your 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 escapades <laughs> yeah while they're working a, a brutal nine to five or something right right exactly mm-hmm. exactly did you find 
especially I feel like during the pandemic, such a volatile time, obviously. Did you find that change challenging or nerve wracking or did it just happen naturally? Like you already sort of had a built in audience and clients and things like that. Well, for me, it was, it was kind of starting fresh. Um, I had a few clients, people who were interested, who had, who had commissioned me for stuff. Cause I was doing a little more illustration on the side uh, at the time, uh, but not in like a really defined style. It was just kind of like whatever the client needed, I could emulate pretty decently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying, still trying to find my, my own voice. Um, and it was kind of the right around the summer of 2020 that it kind of just worked. Suddenly I was making work that like felt right. And it was like this just big creative explosion. Yeah. And... You make a lot of stuff. <laughs> You're very, very productive. It's uh, yeah. Uh, it makes me feel bad about myself. So please don't, please don't for no, it's really <laughs> ritualized. Like I'm like two pieces a week, you know? Uh, and then I've got like a, a schedule for, uh, time blocked out for sketches and work for cards and clients and things like that. It's it's all extremely extremely ritualized for me in a, in a way yeah, that not like, in a not in a free spirited sort of like, yeah. I don't wake up going oh what am I going to do today? Maybe I'll draw. No, I'm like okay. So like Mondays are like these two things. Tuesdays are this. Wednesdays are this, etc. Um, do you think that's necessary to be self employed and to, to freelance to have that? regimented self-discipline i would say absolutely <laughs> but i mean absolutely for me um mm-hmm. i i have to be otherwise i just won't i'll play video games all day you know like i i i would i would love to just like kick around but like once i get in like the work mode then it's like okay i do i do this for this set amount of time and it's it's been really good for me it doesn't work for everybody uh but i've personally struggled with trying to keep any sort of semblance of a schedule I'm just like I feel like I just I work either it's either all or nothing for me I think right right I'm either working not at all or 12 hours a day like there's no real in between and see that's that's the other half or as you have to know when to say like that's it for the day yeah when your work is also your passion it's really easy to so so easy and even if it's not existing, like you're not actively working, I feel like my brain can't dissociate from from like work brain of like thinking about it and it consuming also my thoughts, which feels like work because it's like yeah. So you're you're a hyper focused person as well. Yeah, e- yeah, exactly. Either hyper focusing or nothing, like right? No in between, right. yeah. <laughs> zero or hundred, which yeah. is very healthy. Um, so I know you grew up in the South and I think you were living in the South when we met in 2019 at the Small Press Expo. Yes. How do you think the Southern environment and culture or mindset influence the content of your work now? Oh my God. It's, 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 in a way, it's the whole thing um, because uh, largely my work is an exploration of my own subconscious, trying to you know dredge up stuff, and a big part of that is working through my own religious trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, gr- I grew up in a deeply Southern Baptist church. Uh, 
And, you know, I was very much a true believer up until, uh, you know, my early mid twenties, I was, I was deep in it. Like I said before, I went to school for ministry. So <laughs> that was, yeah, a, you were, was you were big, in it. I was in it, in it. truly in it. I was ready to become a, a minister. Um, and yeah, eventually the questions just stacked up too high and I started deconstructing everything. A lot of the stuff, you know, looking back, a lot of stuff like I was born in, in the early eighties. So I was living in the South in the, in, in these religious circles during the satanic panic, right. Which we're kind of seeing this like wild resurgence of, uh, especially with regard to like queer mm -hmm. folks, right. Like there's this whole, like they're groomers, they're, they're awful. These, all these awful things. Right. And it's like, we heard, well, we've heard all this before. This is, this is just lifted from the scripts from the eighties that talked about gay people instead of trans people. Um, yeah, it's it's like the AIDS conversation and yeah, they barely they barely did a copy paste on it, you know, like yeah. um so you know, being raised in that environment, like it it left me with a lot of a lot of conflict around being queer, uh, which is something I suppressed for a very long time. Uh and it also left me with like just a lot of baggage around uh my relationship to Christianity, my relationship to the church. Uh, my relationship to spirituality in general. My work, a, a lot of it is kind of unpacking that in a way. Um, mm -hmm. I went through, after leaving the church and kind of, you know, losing my faith, um, I went through like a whole bunch of like exploration and stuff like that. And for a while landed on uh, chaos magic. Uh, so, you know, talking about like making sigils and stuff. And that really appealed to me as a graphic designer. You know, I was like, oh, this is, this is something I'm good at. Um, so, and that was one of my first early brushes with kind of like, okay, this, this, there might be something to this as far as like finding a way to kind of connect, uh, a new reconstructed spirituality, uh, however that may look, um, with my own artistic inclinations. Did you do any sort of spiritual based work, personal work before sort of like quote unquote, losing your faith? Or was that part of your like journey into finding new ways to like new avenues for? Yeah, I, spirituality? I didn't do, a, you know, back when I, back when I was like in the church and stuff, I did very, very little work, like artistic work around that because um, I mean, as you may know, like a lot of visual art is very discouraged in, in these circles, you know, like. Yeah. You can tell from their websites. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, there's just like, you know, uh, I think someone someone rightfully said it's just a descendant of the iconoclastic controversy, right? Which is like, you know, all the, you know, when Martin Luther showed up and is like, you know, we're going to reform the church and all, you know, all the Protestants were like, yeah, let's, yeah, fuck it up. And they, they you know, took down the statues and all these things that made them think of paganism or of idol worship and stuff like that so there's like this very strong undertone that, i mean like and that's not to say that any any one church or denomination is like super like we don't like visual art because people in general are drawn to visual art but there's this kind of undercurrent of well we'd rather you put your your artistic talents into something like music which is why a lot of these you know like which is why the, the college that i went to uh for ministry, they had a massive, well-funded music program that was incredible. I mean, some of the I mean, best music musicians. is so seductive with 
with, it, with it religion grabs as well. the emotions right like yeah. in such an immediate way and like you know at least in in their in their context like makes you feel like you're being connected to something mm-hmm. something greater um art is is a lot more opaque you know like you have to sit with a piece in silence almost you know to like really like connect with it and then it then it's not they're not telling you what it means they're not telling you you know this is you know, I mean, it's, it's Thomas Kincaid or something, right? Uh, it's not it promotes telling free you thought. Yeah, it, promo- it promotes this idea of like, you're making this own, you have to draw your own conclusions. Yeah, I think that's probably goes hand in hand with why they've historically been so controlling about how visual art oh, has absolutely. looked for Absolutely. Well, it's all, it's also like just one or two steps from you know idolatry, right? Like it's it's hard to make an idol out of music. Well, maybe not, but it feels like it's more a more challenging thing. But like if you make a painting of Jesus, you know, it's like oh, well, you've got the now you have this image that you could worship instead of instead mm-hmm. of uh, you know something else. And he's uh, white and blonde and yeah, just mysteriously eyes. Scandinavian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of Scandinavia, um, I wanted to talk about like this, the symbolism and the the way that you work in different like mystical characters or um, iconography. And I was wondering if those are specifically like drawn from things that exist already and you're kind of interpreting them Mm -hmm. and reconstructing them or are they part of your own like internal universe because I feel like sometimes I see like sort of like some Nordic inspiration in your work as well like Icelandic witchcraft and things like that I would say uh that Icelandic uh folk magic was a big visual inspiration for me back when I was just beginning to make sigils back in uh 2015 or so um and it's, have you been to iceland i have not i have not my family is from sweden largely oh England. cool uh so you know uh there's my there's my one small bit of connection i don't really have much cultural connection to it though i'm mm-hmm. very thoroughly americanized in that i went to the the icelandic witchcraft museum in iceland um and it oh, was whoa yeah it was really it was really weird, but it was, I mean, like in a great way, like yeah, yeah, bizarre, uh, but it was so neat. And it just, that whole place, not to like, you know, mythologize a place that actually exists with real people, but like, <laughs> right. it really does kind of feel like you're on a different planet there because of the like geographical absurdity of oh, yeah. a volcano well, and, and sulfur pits and like this beautiful coastline that's just like nothing well and they're so isolated culturally from the rest yeah. of even scandinavia because you know like that you know went out there and like if you look at the the folk magic that they have it's so specific yeah and like magical skin pants skin like necro pants Yes. Yeah, they had like a recreation of skin pants at <laughs> Wait, the museum. They didn't have and the you're real supposed thing? to like, uh, you know, it like looked real. I'm pretty sure it wasn't real, and then it was a recreation and not some sort of like taxidermy situation. But it, I think the idea was that you wore, you made skin pants out of a dead person that like stole from you, and then you would like shit out money, basically. 
wearing I those think it pants. Was the, the, you could always reach into the pants and and find gold. Yeah, so, some sort of yeah, there would be gold. Some, yeah, there's some, like it's, some sort of it's a thing. way to get money. Like, mm-hmm. and I guess like as long as you wear these pants, you'll never uh, be out of money. Which yeah, the skin of somebody else, perfectly. Yeah, very all you need is some uh, some other guy's skin. No big deal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, is are are the the symbols that you incorporate directly drawn from that sort of inspiration, or is there a combination of your own stuff plus that? It's it's a it's a little it's a little of a both. Um, okay, so when I that was a visual influence for me. So I was like looking at like how the they did angles and like intersections and things like that. It was a very kind of like design oriented thing. But my, the the probably the biggest influence on my sigil work is from uh, Austin Osmond Spare, uh, who is a mystic occultist. He was briefly associated with Crowley, uh, and he's kind of his work his art and his sigils were kind of the foundation for what would become chaos magic in like the sixties and seventies. And what he did, his, his method was taking the English alphabet and, you know, you'd write your, your intent or whatever for the sigil to be. And you'd, Mm -hmm. you'd combine letters and you would, it it basically create a perfect design little sigil out of these letter forms. Um, so that was kind of a good starting point. And I was also referencing, uh, this is this is back when I was doing everyday sigils on Tumblr. Uh, so this is back in like 2015 or so. Um, I was the kind of- The good Tumblr days. Yeah, the good Tumblr days. Um, I was referencing like uh, primarily uh, Spare's work along with um, like VCR instructions. Like, okay. Like, like the, the very like schematic, uh, electronic schematics and stuff like that. I thought those were- absolutely interesting and it kind of felt like you know this is like magic as schematic right I thought that was kind of an interesting thing it's just continued to evolve since then like the the I like looking at like uh Icelandic folk magic as one small influence amongst like a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. um and uh yeah yeah so like I've, I've definitely like as I've studied symbols for a long time at this point very much made an active effort to not include symbols that are like deeply important to like other people's mm-hmm. cultures because they're not my cultures. Um, like, I think that's the right move. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I don't, I don't have any connection to like indigenous cultures or mm-hmm. to Celtic cultures even, or to uh, you know, various East Asian like cultures, right? Like I don't have any connection to this. So I am left to kind of forge ahead on my own. Uh, with what is meaningful to me. I also wanted to know what is your starting point for making your images because they're very geometric, but mm. you know they f- they feel like uh, something simple extrapolated on, and it's very the the layouts are very incredibly well composed. What's your starting point, and like how do you come up with an image? Do you have a set idea in mind or does it kind of just take its own shape as it comes along it's interesting because this has kind of changed slowly over the the course of my career so far so like at the very beginning i it was purely just automatic uh like like uh, if you're familiar with automatic drawing or whatnot where you kind of yeah zone out uh meditate whatever and just kind of quite uh quite a religious 
tie too. I would oh, say. I mean, my whole work is still a very spiritual practice. It's mm -hmm. just in in the service of making art itself. Uh, art. I, I mean, I often say that it's it's art as magic, magic as art. Like it's all the same for me. You know, I light my candles, I do my incense and all that stuff. I pray to Eris, all that good stuff. And while, uh, while before you make art or yeah, oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, and this is like part of the whole ritual for me, right? Is like, yeah, yeah. You use the word ritual. I guess it is literal. It is a literal, quite literally ritual, ritual work. I mean, I even tattoo my own characters, you know, like on me. So, That's um, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, but you know, it often sit, starts with automatic drawing. So, you know, it'll be, might be just a scribble on a page um but it you know then you kind of sit with it for a little while and it might start to look like something and you kind of do that I, I i would sometimes do like noise divination where you kind of like look at some static for a while and see what shapes you can find stuff mm. like that just kind of like trying to find new and interesting ways to kind of like you know scratch away at the subconscious and see what bubbles up well, and once you start to see, you know, shapes and stuff like that, you put them together and just see what happens. I would say 90% of my work at this point is still improvisational. Okay, um, cool. It's, it, it's like playing jazz a little bit, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like it feels quite jazz. Like now that you, following now you the say flow. that, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it feels like refined spontaneity. Yes. Yes. And, and now that I've got, you like can this... steal that if you want to. Thank you. Thank you. I will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now that I've got like, you know, all these like motifs and stuff like that, that I've worked with for uh, a little over two years now, I can see things more readily in my sketches. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that's this character or, oh, that's, you know, this idea that I want to refine a little bit. So, you I know, I feel like, like that that's yeah. really hard to take that the sort of simple ideas that you have and really give them depth in life that that is a I feel like a very unique skill that I so don't have <laughs> um and I really admire in your work uh, you could you could definitely do it what I do is it, it's just practice that's it do you use any reference like any reference um, sometimes material? sometimes like if uh, oftentimes when I'm having to like draw something that like a horse for instance um or you know like like i there's i have a sphinx character that i draw frequently i you know i gotta i gotta look up what what a cat looks like every time yeah. and a horse uh, especially yeah, like a and horse. a horse i mean you know, and those like, things aren't right no matter how much i might distort the form yeah right uh <laughs> no matter how much i might distort the forms uh i still have to kind of have for the pieces like that that more figurative things that are based in real life they they need a little help um, and so. one thing that I think really comes through in your work, which is digital, is that you have really rich textures mm. in your pieces, despite it also being quite like graphic. Um, there's, I feel like you really utilize texture in an, in a way that really gives it depth and a sense of like tactility. Yeah, uh, how do you go about exactly like what is your technical process for achieving some of your textures 
Sure. Um, it, well, uh, if you've been following my work since the beginning, you'll see that like at the beginning, I was using a lot of scan textures. Like I would scan in pages from hymnals. I would scan in pages from the Bible. You know, like this is also part of this whole like deconstruction of spirituality. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, using a lot of folded paper and stuff like that. Like I would just scan them in and start, you know, collaging them as part of the piece, um, cutting up and all that stuff. That was that was a very different era of my work. Um, and nowadays it's, it's, uh, I've gotten much more into things like permacomputing, which we can go into in a second. Um, yeah, I've, but, I'm not familiar with, oh, I would, I would love to tell you about it. Okay. So, but the we short, an, yeah, the short answer for that is, is that, um, I I've, because now I'm working at much smaller resolutions and it, the work is a lot grainier as a result. Like I'm just kind of leaning really hard into, uh, get as much texture as I can out of a very small space. Um, I think most of my work is like 1800 pixels square. Uh, okay. Yeah. Th to me, that's still really like, especially yeah, coming game, from it's doing not Game Boy level. But... Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's like huge. <laughs> Infinite <laughs> canvas. <laughs> yeah. Not quite pixel art, but yeah, I think probably yeah, like, for graphic yeah. design work that's small. It's like just just beyond pixel art, right? Like mm -hmm. you can still see the pixels. And if you zoom in onto literally any of my work from this year, uh, you could you could see the pixels. Like it's it's very pixely uh, when you get down to the level. But yeah, it, I've I've really tried to lean into uh, how to get the most texture out of that. And it's a little tougher just plopping in uh, scan stuff because it gets really muddy very fast. So you're using uh, sort of synthetic like digital. Textures? Now I'm yeah. Now I'm mostly using a, just a series of really customized brushes. Uh, like I've mm -hmm. got like a nice like clumpy noise brush that I use for most of my shading, um, and I've got a couple rake brushes that I use a lot. You'll see like you know really strong rake yes, textures yeah. in there. Yeah, I feel um, like the the art of the digital paintbrush is so powerful and something that I don't know how to utilize it all because I'm not really that much of a digital artist and mm. I think when it's used really well it can totally change a piece of oh digital. absolutely absolutely I and like I would love to in this year uh start kind of getting messier again and you know maybe exploring uh like maybe adding new colors I mean I've got a very defined palette but like mm -hmm. uh, add, adding some adding some some new messiness and some new ways of like giving it more organic feel like come kind of bringing the physical back into it because I've been very digital for a long time do you want to explain to me what permacomputing is oh permacomputing oh god okay so I uh I'm on Mastodon uh for mm -hmm. anyone who is over there uh and I'm on a server called uh, Mervai uh, it's run by some really cool people, uh, and among them are uh, Devine and Rekka from Hundred Rabbits. Uh, they are an art collective that live on a boat uh, up in the Pacific Northwest, and they're, they're just really cool people. I, I've gotten to know them just a little bit. And how big is they, this boat? It's it's a, it's just two people, and it's on a, it's on like a okay. real small sailboat. But they okay. have programmed like they are working on. Uh, making an operating system uh, called UXN, and it is targeted for old hardware. The overall idea is to create uh, the, the the the. I'm not a code person. I'm an art person. But like these these people who are working on like perma computing solutions 
are people who are thinking about like the long term of like what is what does it look like when the internet is spotty you know what does it look like when the internet is remote um and this is not just like a future hypothetical this is like these people were were traveling on sailboat and they would hit you know you go out in the pacific you're not getting the same signal <laughs> that you'd get in the middle of Vancouver. Like it's a very different world and you have to, you have to adjust your power usage, you know, like working off of solar power, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so like they've, they're developing software and, and whatnot that is targeted towards the oldest possible hardware they can. So they can continue to do their work for a long time. I'm, I'm kind of in uh, on the shallow end of that where I am, intentionally purchasing hardware uh that is used you know like not going out and buying the latest greatest thing um the the i brand see this as i nod using my brand new yeah MacBook and there's no Air. shame in, there's no shame in that. this is <laughs> this isn't like a, a judgment session right like i i love some of the new the new stuff that's come out but this is like a very intentional practice for me of like well you know, like, like I'm very, you know, that minimalist impulse of like, well, what can I get away with? Right. And so like, you know, right now, what can you do now with things, the limitations of the past? Right. Right. So like, I'm currently using a 2018, uh, MacBook air, you know, not, not terribly old, but by MacBook air standards, practically Mm -hmm. ancient. Um, and I rolled it back to oh, let's see. I'm giving I'm giving this to every hacker out there. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, what's your What's your IP what's address my... exactly? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm using Mojave, which is like yeah, that's a little several old. several versions back. And the reason I chose that was so that I could run 32 bit programs as well as 64 bit ones. Oh, okay, now, that makes sense. Adobe hates this. Adobe hates this because they want Adobe you to, hates you know, a lot of things. Adobe hates everything, um, mm-hmm. everything good in the world. You Except know. your money. They love your money. The nice thing is I have, uh, yeah, I'm paying for my Adobe subscription, but they can't force any more updates on me. I've got the last update <laughs> that my computer can possibly handle. And because I'm working at such low specs and stuff like that, um, that has made that feasible, you know, like if I were, if I were trying to make these massive files and stuff like that with hundreds and hundreds of layers, it just wouldn't be feasible. I think that's really interesting because it's kind of a, it's limited in kind of a gray space of where it's not, it's not long enough ago that there's any type of nostalgia or this Mm. like air of it's cool because it's old it's like right, right. No oh, one, it's no just one is, like is longing old. for the days of mid twenty teens MacBooks. Yeah. I mean, maybe someone Yet. is, but yes, I I am the one person who is like that was the golden era. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so. I'm working. I spent this weekend getting a uh, Mac Paint to work on yes. my MacBook. Yes, and I original... loved your Mario Paint video. Yeah, uh, that was easy compared to just getting this to run on modern hardware it was a challenge to just be able to use mac paint because it's a 38 year old program yeah and it was like the og original image creation software and everything else is based off of it so i wanted to like go back to the beginning and like see what could be what can be done with this absolutely bare bones first pass of this kind of 
software. Yeah. And this, this ties back into perma commuting at computing as well. Cause you think about the, the, all the software that has been lost to mm-hmm. time, you know, like the, the amount of effort you have to go through to, to run an old piece of software when we have computers that are exponentially so much more powerful like why wouldn't they be able to you know like why couldn't we just emulate that right because then they can't still make money off of it really mm-hmm. like there's that's one of, that's definitely one of the reasons yeah and, and and i found at least in the circles that i run and it's a very permacomputing as a concept is very anti-capitalist in that yeah, it is it seems very anti-capitalist for it, sure. it's thinking about the long term of a future where you know we may not have like the internet as as we know it um it's possible or, yeah or or like you know it might be more locally based hubs or something like that like there's just the, it thinks about the possibilities and it ties into things like solar punk and stuff like that you know where people are looking to a a, a smaller scale decentralized greener future speaking of history and the past what art movements would you point to that have been a large influence for you? For me, uh, almost any time period where abstraction has become like, you know, the pendulum has swung back from realism and things like that towards abstraction is always been, always been tops in my mind. Um, Periods like that, like the medieval period, like I don't see that as like people lost the ability to draw. It was a time period where people were, trying to express spiritual concepts and trying to express like a, a world that we can't just look out our window and see, right? Like they're not That's like, Oh, it's very generous this. of you. It's <laughs> very generous. <laughs> I mean, people were, were making very realistic art before that and after that. So I feel like it, it feels like to me, this is just my personal theory that it's more of an art, more of a, an artistic shift. You know, like their priorities were different culturally. Um, so, and I feel like it, it we kind of see that again with like the rise of like modernism and and like abstract art. And both of those periods to me kind of feel like they're both uh, like like early early modern and abstract art. You've got artists like Hilma uh, F. Clint. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got Malevich. These people were trying to express, they were associated with uh, like theosophy and other occult groups um early modern art was an attempt to display or capture uh the spiritual realm as opposed to just you know what they could see so right like it, and sort of like an internal like expression yeah it's like this recurring impulse in human history to like it's okay so we're looking outward we we draw what we see and now we're looking inward and we then we, we draw what we see, but what's inside, but we can't really reference that in any, any concrete way. So it just kind of comes out in these like colors and shapes and, you know, abstract forms. And I feel like I'm kind of, you know, working off of that lineage of like occultists and, and other people who were more concerned with like the spiritual rather than the physical. Who are some of your favorite artists that are working right now? Besides you? Besides me, other than me, <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. Um, I adore uh, Sophie Wake's art. Um, she is a painter out of the UK, I believe. Uh, SophieWake.com. 
Um, she does a lot of like angelic figures and birds uh, is, is very much her jam. Adore, adore her work. Yeah, they're kind of like uh, almost like a naivete, but or like folk yeah. party, but in a. I feel like I a, see some Matisse in there too. Yeah, 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 and like like MC Escher weirdly with the sort yeah of like repeated imagery. She's doing some really cool stuff. Uh, I love that. I also love um, Pam Wishbo. They're an artist out of Seattle uh, who's doing just absolutely fantastic, kind of like folk magic uh based stuff um you've definitely Are you familiar with death p sun yes yes yeah i i feel like i see some some of those ties to to some of your work of that sort of i could totally magical... see i was big into juxtapause uh, mm-hmm. uh for a while you know buying the magazines and flipping through them that was like what early uh mid 2000s i was also super influenced by like joan and vasquez who did like Invader Zim and uh, oh yeah yeah and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac stuff like that, big into the big into those comic scenes and and animation scenes. That's foundational for me. I'm curious as to what you think of the. I'm going to be careful in that I'm not insinuating that your work looks like this, but mm-hmm. I feel like people who are working graphically and sort of a graphic illustration aesthetic were probably the source of inspiration for the corporate Memphis style. <laughs> the like I was curious as what your thought on on like corporate Memphis or the I, the Google, the big tech. Yeah, aspect. yeah, absolutely absolutely. Okay. So I, I feel like I've got a pretty nuanced opinion of corporate Memphis. I I don't love it. But I understand its necessity. I, I have been doing graphic design and illustration for a long time. And I, I was doing specifically vector illustration for quite some time. So, you know, that, and that's how a lot of that stuff is made, right? Like it's all very like smooth shaped, blobby mm-hmm. characters, that kind of thing. And it makes sense. Like if you're working under increased, uh, increased like shorter deadlines, smaller budgets uh, and bigger asks, from your clients, of course, you're going to gravitate to a style that you could just knock out, you know, like you just spend as little time as possible on. And I know probably some people making this are going to be like, how dare I work very hard to draw these cute little blobby people. And I get it. It's very efficient. It's extremely efficient. Uh, And it gets, it, it, it portrays all that wonderful, wonderful, like friendliness that Facebook and Google and, you know, these big tech giants, they want you to feel like, like they give Ooh, like they care about fun. you yeah it's vaguely diverse maybe i don't it, they're know purple people for some reason yeah. you know they're orange and purple and and all sorts of colors that people wouldn't be uh so they can bypass diversity actually you know yeah yeah it's like people it's non-representation whatever. in the way that it represents yes. nobody yes exactly and like you know I understand how like the labor conditions of the illustration industry have become a catalyst for corporate Memphis being the biggest thing around. And I think it's, I think corporate Memphis feels like it's kind of on its way out, but I think, I don't know what it's being replaced by. They've caught on. They think the art directors, (laughs) the art directors have been reading the comments. I have, I have found that, uh, you know, cause I was doing corporate Memphis stuff for a while for various corporate clients and stuff like that. Uh, not under 
Helvetica Blanc, but under, you know, just as getting by, working for companies, working in art departments, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I noticed towards the end of my design career, if you will, um, they were going back to photography. At the end of the day, people, you know, were like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do diversity. We'll, we'll bring in people, you know, who aren't white, who, you know, who aren't straight, things like that. And we'll do photographs. So that was, I, that was the big push when I was last there. And I think that maybe that was my like, oh, okay. So if, if illustration is, has been pushed to its breaking point, um, might as well just start doing fine art. <laughs> uh, illustration feels like a very, I mean, I've done like some, some mm. professional illustration, like editorial stuff, but yeah. not, but it is, it's grueling and it's, and it's fast Absolutely. and it's demanding. The, and... the turnaround times are wild. And yeah, and you're really putting yourself not only you're not only putting yourself out there, but you're also supposed to be representing whoever you are doing the illustration yeah. for. I mean, as well. is, these aren't your opinions, right? This is you're trying to to convey the opinion of the guy who wrote the article that you don't really agree with, but you're like, yeah. they, uh, they're not saying anything awful. I just don't think it's great. You know? Like, and then you're supposed to make gold out of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have to, you have to just work with, with what you're given there. Um, I think this actually is a great segue to um, what I wanted to talk about because I know that we have similar views on, and that is AI art oh, oh no <laughs> oh no um yeah because i think uh, we have similar AI outlooks <laughs> can i say <laughs> that yeah absolutely i mean i made a fucking 25 minute <laughs> video about it so uh yeah i don't think it's a surprise yeah um not a shocker I, and i'm curious is like i feel like some corporations will use it's like the it's like the corporate corporate memphis pipeline it's like this is this is now the way to further automate that i don't know if that's absolutely uh, and i have friends and people who have a very different opinion about ai art than i do mm. and i'm curious if your opinions are layered in that you think that there are good uses or the potential for good uses or if it is like evil through and through and it needs to go oh sure okay here's my here's my very nuanced opinion which is mm -hmm. <laughs> i was using ai art for a minute like i thought mm -hmm. uh that back when uh it was mostly text-based and i know every poet out there is coming from my blood now but like you know i would take like uh you know keats and paradise lost and select passages from the bible and throw them in the blender and see what it shot out. In fact, my first zine, uh, if you look at the Idolia series, uh, is AI-generated poetry that I have created illustrations to go with. Yes. Um, and that was a very early experiment. That was a couple years ago at this point, right? Uh, and, and the technology wasn't, visually wasn't there. Um, it wasn't really, it, it was a mess, you know? And, yeah, and actually, didn't, I thought didn't that was look... kind of, I thought that was kind of more interesting when AI art was just really spotty and like creating these kind of like uncanny, surreal, like 
landscapes almost you know like these yeah, like unidentifiable but somehow yeah. in that uncanny valley of being close enough to something it, it felt like more collage it. it felt like collage yeah. work i like i felt like i was looking at like what could have been a really interesting like neo data kind of thing right mm-hmm. like where artists are putting putting out ai work that is just you know tackling uh, social issues or whatnot uh and it, somewhere along the way, I mean, probably from the beginning, let's be real, because these things are funded by uh, billionaires and tech giants and things like that who have a vested interest in reducing how much they pay for things like art. And somewhere along the way, they started scraping other illustrators' work to feed their to feed their training programs, and then it got better. <laughs> Weirdly, uh, yeah. Seriously, um, and and now it you know you can say like oh you know give me give me so and so but done in the style of you know mike mignola or you know whatever and it spits out 50 copies of that and you get to pick which one you think is the closest now and like i could i could see hypothetically uh a, an illustrator that's maybe you know this this just kind of feeds into the whole shorter and shorter turnarounds like okay hypothetically an illustrator could sit down and go okay i'm gonna you know knock out 50 rough drafts and they can pick you know one of these ai generated rough drafts and then i can refine that but that's it's never going to provide like the the kind of um interesting accidents and stuff it's like and there's always people i mean i got literally a thousand comments of people being like oh well all artwork is derivative all artists have just used past art to make their art now. And this is no different. And you are going to be left behind. If you think that this tool is left behind from what though. And I'm like, (laughs) I already work in a medium that's dead. Like what? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, their, their (laughs) idea is that like using AI generated images, at least as a way to like, make new things is no different than people using inspiration from past work to make new things. Yeah. When I and, think and there is a clear difference in that. Absolutely. And what, and cause it's, it, you know, like as many, I could list, I have a whole page of, of influences on my website. If you go to the artwork section of my website, there is an influences section where you can click on a bunch of links to see artists and works that have influenced me. But even still, that's, still being filtered through all of my experiences my spirituality it's coming you know it's coming from a very different place than a lot of these artists you know uh so like it's sure we're influenced by other artists but we're not just like oh i'm gonna you know rip off this one artist today or i'm gonna rip off this artist you know it's that might be how we learn but like it's never there's a there's a big big gap between learning from copying other artists and then going on to make something that is a unique and interesting synthesis of that filtered through your experience. Yeah, I think I think that rebuttal and that response, it's so clear to me that those people are not artists. I've never oh, heard absolutely. an artist say it's the same thing because anybody yeah. who's made art, you don't even have to be like a professional, professional artist, but just like yeah. have a love of making art you know it's different like you know that that <laughs> yeah. process of yeah. of coming and coming from your own experiences and ideas is it's not just like okay i'm gonna take the arm from michelangelo 
and then, right you know, it's right like, this is so, they, yeah, it's not weird science where you're <laughs> you're like literally cut and pasting something together and then yeah the 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 sum of the parts is so much less um than, mm-hmm. than the parts themselves it, it, and what happens when you know in their hypothetical future right where like everybody gets on board with this who's making the source material that the ais are training on or are we just going to be stuck with this you know history up until 2022 or 2024 when all artists started using ai instead they have a really short-sighted interest uh, there's even the I, there's i've seen some um i've attempted to read some academic uh, papers kind of mm. on this idea of that we are now transitioning into a post-human art movement um, in the same way that we went sure. into, like post-digital. Um, gotcha, and that, like, gotcha. uh, it Now there is creation apart from human-made things um, that is like now integrated or mainstream enough that it's like pervasive. Yeah. So now like there's going to be like a post human movement or this is part of the post human movement of, right. of just utilizing technology to create images outside of like human intervention. It's like neat in concept and it's neat as like a theory, like as a insulated idea, but sure. then you Damien Hirsch like, is going to go wild, you know, God, <laughs> I, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if that dude has has already like done a shit ton of AI art because like I kind of feel like this but this stuff belongs to the con the conceptual artists, right? Like the the ones who are like it's about the process, and like my work is about the process too. But like with they with they have absolutely no regard for for what the end result is. Whereas I think the people who are making images very specifically that are not commodities on the on the the art market they have a very different idea in mind about process do you think that it's here to stay or do you think it is a fad that will dwindle in relevance kind of like nfts had i would say uh maybe commercial well it feels like the nfts and ai are kind of go hand in hand don't they because mm-hmm. that well i mean the nft people th- their biggest stumbling block was that they had to hire artists to make their weird uh you know cut and paste swap out art right like it they're, was all very they're deviant art adoptables yeah deviant art adoptables exactly and so it was like oh this one has a party hat oh this one's got a military uniform this one's carrying a nuclear warhead but it's all like the same cut and paste thing right and i feel like ai art just feels like it belongs with that <laughs> and it's like oh you can just automate that shit now you don't even need to pay an artist if we if we can successfully funnel it into just those folks yeah it'll 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 go the way the buffalo with that but i think the idea of people interacting with computing for their art is going to be something that will be around as long as as long as there are computers, um, totally. people are going to find new and interesting ways to work with it. And I think there's still like, if, if we can, if we can get away from, you know, like, like, like for instance, if I were to create, if I were to use a, an AI and train it on my own work, right. Which I wouldn't want to do, but if I were to create the training set myself and set it loose as part of an experimental set of pieces 
could find some really interesting stuff there, especially if I then reincorporate it and go, okay, well, I like this, but I'm going to change some things. You know, I'm going to make this more clear or less clear, you know, like, like take an artistic eye to it instead of just, ah, well, that's what the computer gave me. So that's what I've got. Yeah, I think there is there's a nugget of of something interesting there. Yeah, and, and possibly one day we can w- go back to it being a niche hobby thing, where you know people are are training it on their own doodles or whatnot, and you know you can kind of get some interesting, fun experiments out of it. But as long as it it's being pushed as this is fundamentally a labor issue, uh, as a way to to undercut illustrators, I I can't stand by that. You know, do you have you seen any effect in your sphere of of that, or do you think that it well, not for me in particular, just because I've I've mostly transitioned out of graphic design and illustration, like commercially. Um, I I know that there's yeah we've we've already seen what one or two covers for like the New Yorker or magazines Mm -hmm. like that that have utilized AI art. I feel like we're gonna see more and more of that. Um, I think that's just kind of the the stage of late capitalism that we're in, right? Where no matter how much people are going to push back against it and say it sucks, that's just more views for their article, you know, about how great it is. Um, I've, and I've also seen it being in, integrated into internet ads. Like that's, yeah. I have oh, like started seeing it just like in the wild. It's absolutely. not about AI art. It or might end up like... being the new corporate Memphis, right? Is like these kind of weird janky things because at the end of the day, a lot of these people making this imagery or the ones in charge of making the imagery, uh, not the artists themselves, uh, don't care that much. They aren't that particular if a person has six or seven fingers on their hand or if like, you know, things are a little off feeling like they just want an image that will get people to click the button so that like they can sell their product or their service or whatnot. Um, sell you a subscription for a, a mobile game or something. Yeah. They bank on you not paying attention. Enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, like as far as we might see some interesting use cases in art, in like the fine art world. Um, and, but I think largely it's going to have a, a net negative effect on, on illustrators going forward. This the scary part is is that like this has backing by mm. the, the investment by like Absolutely. mega corporations that are influencing the way that we work now, like yeah. Adobe and Microsoft and Absolutely. Um, so that's that's the part where I'm like, oh it's not <laughs> just like some weird NFT yeah, this crypto isn't shit. From- from out of nowhere right like this is something that's been building for the decades at this point where they're just i mean and and of all the things to try to automate from the human experience art you know we couldn't automate the 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 difficult work that maims and and kills people but we can automate the the one of the few things that brings joy uh for just the the for just the sake of doing it you know um yeah that's where i can't quite soulless. figure out the the angle i'm like what is this fucking end game like what is i think it's it doesn't I think add it's up because to me. the the people who are investing it they see tech as a solution to everything mm. i mean i i know i've had this experience working in design you know making websites and stuff like that right where the business people the people who care about oh does the does the money go up is the money happy uh they aren't terribly interested about like 
the 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 art or the craft behind it. They just want the money to be happy. Uh, they just want that line to go up, right? And as money long as happy. that happens, the money's happy. And you, you know, you got to keep the money together in a big hoard. Otherwise, it gets sad. It's, <laughs> if it's in poor people's pockets, it's sad. Can't have that. That'd be terrible. The money doesn't want to be there. Uh, not to this is there's no transition to this, but you touched on it briefly. Um, but sort of to close out the conversation, I wanted to ask you, I guess, more directly, like, how do you think your queerness and your identity has influenced your art making or your experience as an artist or hasn't it or what is it, that relationship? It definitely has. I mean, like, uh, as I think I mentioned before, you know, there's this very long deconstructive process right of deconstructing my religion and deconstructing my gender and sexuality were a big part of that if you look at my work now i don't get very explicit with it but a lot of my work none of the care very few of the characters have gender most of them are kind of these genderless blobs um and i'm you know when i do name them like for instance an or ikari or things like that they're usually using they pronouns um and this is, this is, you know, a lot of this is exploration of my own interior world uh, where, you know, gender is in flux. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and, and very often gender doesn't even figure into the equation when, when building a persona. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest way it's, it's affected it. Um, I know that, like, there's, there's definitely, like, a lot of, like, stuff, like, packaged up when I'm when I'm deconstructing like you know religious trauma or like working with like like that 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 frame of time where you know like as as a kid who was who was queer but didn't really have the vocabulary for that like how would that come out how would that be expressed and like digging digging into that first you know more inspiration for my own work it's it sometimes like raises itself to the surface but it's not often very explicit like I don't really have a lot of like, oh, like, here's the trans flag or whatever, right? Kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, the queerness is is inherent to the work uh, because it's being made by a queer person about their own subconscious. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's there. It's just not always, you know, waving a flag or anything. Yeah, and I think that's, um, there's not a right or wrong way to necessarily go about right, that either. Right, and I think absolutely. everyone just brings their own level of overtness or opaqueness Hmm. they want to express that stuff like absolutely i i made a i made a joke one time i said that the only like one of the reasons you know i'm trans is because i only ever ever draw eyes and hands Mm -hmm. and there's just something about like the in my experience of of being trans like that like disembodiedness right of like eyes and hands are all that really matter you know (laughs) Uh, which which could speak to all sorts of things, right? Like, you know, feeling like you're not connected to your own body, uh, you know, trying to to bring those things in line, stuff like that. Um, but it was like this, it was like a, it was like a little goof I made on Twitter one point, and like so many people responded, were like, holy shit, you're right. <laughs> I mean, I think you I think, yeah, it is, I think it's right. And this is, I think, part of the conversation I was having with Zoe as well, is I feel like a lot of uh queer people and trans people especially when they're making art there is this sort of like morphing subversion 
dissociative thing around the body because being trans is experiencing transness is very body oriented when you yeah. are yeah. going through the world absolutely absolutely either people are, are like making all sorts of assumptions about your body or you're having to present a certain way to like be safe you know in many circumstances like there's just so many ways in which like your body is open to more scrutiny I think mm -hmm. than than like people who don't experience that so yeah yeah like I it was just very it was a very funny observation but like eyes and hands that was kind of the <laughs> the giveaway I should have known I was trans <laughs> I like I do yeah I like I do see it though like there is it's kind of hard to exactly put your finger on but there is kind of a similar shared thing that goes. There's a there's a gestalt there. Look at all these hands in your background. I know what. <laughs> I have a collection of hands. You're gonna yeah, be, you're gonna be you're gonna be thinking about this one for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to know also like, has it impacted the way people perceive or digest your work? Like, has there been any sort of response from the outside? in regarding identity or queerness or do you think that that's not something that is necessarily important to you to overtly portray so that there's uh, that doesn't necessarily bleed in you know it's it's really interesting i've i I'm, a lot of the responses that i get to my work are people saying that like they have an emotional response to it but they're not really sure what that emotion is uh, and like, I feel like that tells me that I'm kind of on the right path, right? Is mm -hmm. that I'm like, okay, so I'm evoking something common with someone else, but like, they don't, we don't really have a name for it. Um, and like, gosh, if there's not any more apt thing for like mysticism and spirituality, right? Like, how do we even begin to, to put a, put a name or a label on these things? But like, I found that like, I, you know, I, I pay attention to who who follows me or or comments or likes stuff like that. We're all looking at our social media, right? And it's like almost everybody in my audience is, is queer in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Like there are very, very, very few people that are not intersecting with queerness that follow and appreciate my work. It's um, interesting. If you're how out that there, please tell me what you see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> give it, like, give it a couple years. Yeah, queer people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you about to find you're about to have a very difficult discussion with uh, yourself yeah. um yeah but uh but yeah it seems like because my work resonates so deeply with other queer people that there's something there that's inherently queer about it in, in my expression that maybe i'm not even aware of yet um but i find it interesting nonetheless so as we we've been we've been talking for a hot minute as we close out this conversation what are you working on right now? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I am working on an Oracle card deck. So if you're familiar with tarot, there's like a thousand ways to do divination card decks. Uh, and I am working on my own. Um, I, I plan to do a tarot deck at some point, but right now we're starting with an Oracle one because I feel like that makes perfect sense for you. That seems like the natural. Like, of course, I'm going to do my, to own, do. Yeah, my yeah. own weird thing. Yeah, yeah. So I am I'm working on an Oracle card deck and I am sharing the progress on my Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash Helvetica Blanc. Uh, you can also find my work at Helvetica Blanc.com. 
which has links to everything and, and also in a full archive of my art. So you can see everything. Um, but I'm sharing the progress every week over on Patreon. Um, and I also put up sketches, which will eventually become new full pieces. So you kind of get first looks at what my brain is doing these days. Yeah, your Patreon's very um, timely and consistent. Yeah, thank you. It's part of the In ritual my, every Friday. It, yeah, in mine and mine, I'm like, I get your emails because I'm one of your patrons. And yeah. I'm like, I, you know, I should be better. <laughs> Let my emails be a reminder to, to update yeah. your, your Patreon. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you just have to like make it your spiritual practice. That's the trick, really. You just, yeah. yeah. First, I need to like gain spirituality first. I think that's the. <laughs> that's where i'm at is i need to start from that and then i can sort of work it in absolutely yeah practice. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna let you go for this evening thank you so much for talking with me it was lovely to talk to you i haven't it was seen it's so good to like see you it's years. been yeah it's been so long we should definitely uh talk more consistently which is a thing that i'm trying to do across the board because i have a tendency to not yeah 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 that'd be fantastic all right no that's the that's the cut cut (laughs) (laughs) i hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening or watching again if you'd like to support the podcast or any of the weird endeavors i do you can go over to my patreon at patreon.com forward slash cat grapham and you can follow this podcast on apple podcasts spotify or anywhere you get podcasts, wherever they're grown these days. Until next time, do an art. Just, just some-